thought the job was done. They thought it was all behind them. But sometimes, the past doesn't stay where it belongs. Now, Brad and Andrew must fight to protect all that they've built. The stakes have never been higher. And the beer has never been colder. This year, the epic continues. This is the Brew and View Podcast. Yes, I am very excited. Um, one of the reasons is because you are Mr. Brad. I am, and you, as always, are in my friend Andy. With him always is Garth. Mm-hmm. Marvin um, to your Jim Perkins. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, good to be back. Good yeah. to be talking to you. Good to be talking to the ear holes of all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Hope you haven't missed us too much, but uh, we got some good stuff coming up for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Feels good. I was just telling you this before we hit record. Excited to get back to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk, well, more more than some, but talk movies. Yes. Um, but there's one very important aspect we need to discuss before we That's get right. to any movies. That's right. Uh, yeah, we're we're talking beers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, what are you having? I like your picture. Oh, thank you, thank you. I am having an a variation of Old Mad Joy Baltic Porter, mm. uh, by Great Raft Brewing down in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, they do a ton. 
uh, great raft. Uh, even styles that I think like, uh, I don't know if I'll like that. I've really enjoyed. They do a great job. And uh, this um, variant of Old Mad Joy is the smoked and oaked variety. So it is bourbon barrel aged uh, with a touch of smoked malt. Mm. Um, and what the I like smoked beers in theory, um, but execution is is um, a whole whole other animal. Yes. Um, a lot of times I feel like people go the liquid smoke route. Yes. Um, yeah, and to me bad. that that tastes like ham. Yeah, it makes your beer taste like ham. Um, the smoked malts, though, give it exactly what I think a smoky, um, a real smoky flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I didn't even think about this, but I was reading an article a while ago that uh, my buddy Cool Matt sent me uh, about how all beer used to be pretty smoky um, because that's how they would dry out the malts. Um, back oh, in, back okay. in a more primitive time, everything would be a little more smoky because of that. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So um, this is an excellent uh, winter warmer right here. Um, it's not too. It is ten percent ABV, um, but you know, not not too high compared to some of the other. Um, Imperial stouts and stuff like that. Some of the other stuff that's coming out of the barrels. Um, and, and I like the, uh, their, their whole thing. Um, great Raft's whole thing is drink real beer. Okay. Um, and they have a, a whole little suggestion column on the side here. It's like serve this beer at a chilled 52 degrees in a mm. very swanky snifter. <laughs> um, the IBUs are 60. So uh, that's pretty. No, that's uh, pretty high for a yeah, pretty high for a porter. Um, but yeah, it has it has a nice like bitterness to it, a nice smoky flavor to it, and it's not too boozy the way um, just like a traditional bourbon uh, barreled beer is. It doesn't have that boozy nose or anything like that. Um, but I think it's fantastic. I gave it a four two five on Untapped. Yeah, well, that looks really, really good. Actually, I was going to have a. Um, I went to the beer distributor two weeks ago um, to get a, a case of beer in to get some a couple stuff for uh, for recording too. And I was, I was, I was, uh, I had. There was someone there offering up a bunch of different porters and stouts as samplers. And um, I ended up buying buying one, and I was going to do it tonight, but I'm going to save it, I think, for next week. Nice. Um, it, it, but it kind of reminds me of what you're having. Maybe not with the uh, smoky part of it. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, when I think of smoky, and you said it, um, with the what, <laughs> what a lot of people, where I get the liquid smoky is a lot of people around here and a lot of... Uh, people I know they they'll do the liquid smoke with like uh, deer jerky or that kind of that's when they're doing mm. their own stuff and because a lot of people do that uh, my brother is one of them my brother-in-law Ryan 
as, as well, but like people will go crazy with that stuff and, it, and you can just tell. And um, there's nothing like a bad scotch is what I think of with bad smoke, like smoky, mm. you know, with the bad smoky. But then like a good scotch, like I can't drink bad scotch. Can't do it. Like a like a red label. No. Oh, gross. Yeah. I, um, I bet I could do it. I, I mean, but <laughs> no, I, not... I know what you're saying. I, I'm more making fun of myself. Like, I wouldn't know. Like, I feel like, like, what is it? Pornography. I know when I see it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what good scotch is. I couldn't tell you what it is, um, but I could probably taste it. But Oh, for sure you could. But not well, not well enough, or at least not, an, I haven't done it enough, if at all. To the point where I could like turn my nose down at something. Yeah. Well, if you've had Johnny Walker, mm-hmm. like a red label, I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you've had, if you've had like, like I've had blue label twice and I've had uh, like a platinum Johnny Walker and I've had some other, you know, higher end stuff and they, there's no, it, it's not even close. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't even. I can't. Yeah. It's you, there's no. You have, you have some kind of discerning ta- palate. So I, I know that you would find uh, the ben- or the attributes. I'd say of a good scotch. Um, yeah. 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 I I just don't have the uh, the experience. I guess the, the training. Yeah. Well, the first time I had it, it was like I think our anniversary. We went to this place and they offered it uh, a shot of Johnny Walker Blue as a dessert. Item. Oh wow, that's cool. So I was like, "Well, I'll get that." It was like fifteen bucks for, or maybe it was more than I can't even remember. It, this is a little crazy. bit ago. Um, I was like, "Well, might as well try it out" because I've heard a lot about it, and it was it was excellent, especially for after, uh, for after dinner. But oh, nice. Anyways, yeah. enough about smoky. That I'm glad you like it. That's that looks like a good drink. Yeah, good. really good. Um. Yeah, like I said, great rap. They just, every time, I, I think I've had, like, things that I'm not crazy about, like a wheat IPA. Like, I'm usually pretty iffy on wheat stuff. I'm like, this is great. I would, like, happily buy a four-pack of this. Like, yeah, they just consistently make great beers. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, but it looks like you're cool. having um, uh, a good one, a Springfield favorite. Yes, very much. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to, you can fill like two seconds. I'm going to go grab another one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Trying to think because I've probably, my favorite Great Raft, I think I reviewed on here before. Um, For anyone who might be in the area or has come down to Louisiana before, or honestly, if you're listening to this and you want me to send you some Great Raft, just reach out to me. You have to do it, but they make a great IPA called Grace and Grits. I think I've reviewed that on here before. See, it wasn't even two minutes. No. All right. So yeah, I hope I didn't interrupt anything. No, not at all. Just just talking talking great raft. Nice. Um, I am having a Imperial Double IPA mm-hmm. uh, from the Shamity Creek Brewing Company. The shape of hops to come. And uh, it's sitting at 8.5 ABV, 90, 98 IBU. So you know this is right up my uh, yes, my, my old alley. Um, so this is, um, I mean, this is 
just hop forward just all in your face uh it's not this is like a one of those um uh, it's a it's a uh, a west coast ipa and just maxed out with just all all kinds of different hops it, it has a bunch of stuff explained on the back of it <clears throat> just saying that they wanted to be a little bit more punk rock and uh throw a bunch of uh stuff into it uh this beer in a shamity uh brewing company or the comp the, the brewery i'm i've had stuff from there before but uh, since i'm on our our um our thing i can't see what all is in there but oh there it is um county line ipa well, i live on county line um well, regardless, um, it's a really good beer. It's a really big, heavy, hoppy Imperial IPA, and um, there's no, I mean it's it's there's not a lot of subtlety to it, um, and that's what I like about it. It's just right in your face, right up my alley. <clears throat> I haven't had a really big IPA for a while. Yeah, I feel like uh, it has been a while. I do love the name, by the way. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just right up there with some of the better IPAs I've had, especially the, you know, and it depends too on, I think the time of year, you know, you, you, you know, your palate kind of changes over like the year, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about before, good summer drinking, good winter drinking. Sometimes if you haven't had a beer for a while, you can get a different taste of it sure. if you yeah. haven't. You know, if you're drinking another type of hop or uh, just a, a different style of beer. And uh, maybe this has just hit me at the right time, but I really like it. Um, let me look here what it's uh, kind of uh, – uh, what, what do I want to say about it? Uh, the way it's kind of uh, – not shaping up, but the uh, overall rankings, everyone – looks like sitting at about a 4.03, so that's yeah. – pretty pretty consistent yeah yeah um that's... you know that's going to be a good beer what was yours sitting at overall um i gave it the four two five and then it is oh, one more click uh 4.18 yeah so you're yeah yeah that's and that's yeah, only 269 ratings on that one yeah, so this is yeah, this is Oh, that's a, a 2018 2018 so variation. Um I think the I've had Old Mad Joy before, um but the last one I had was just a uh bourbon barrel aged one. Okay. So this is the first time I've had the smoked and oaked. Um luckily my guys at uh Craft Beer Cellar New Orleans. Um they've they've they know what I'm looking for and they they set me up nice. And I was talking to someone about, um, I was recommending them because I do know the two brothers there. Uh, and the guy, I'm telling him, I'm like, oh, you got to go to the craft beer cellar on uh, on Magazine Washington. And he goes, oh, you know, that's a chain, right? Like, No, stop it. Yeah, I know it's a franchise. Like, <laughs> that doesn't mean that these guys are like, there's no Budweiser in the place. Like I can't run in there and grab a Bud Light real quick. Like, why do you? What are you getting? Kick at? it! Stop it! 
just like say what what brand of clothes you wear. Yeah. You know that's a chain, right? Yeah, these are two. You know what new... kind of phone do you have? Do you know that's a chain, right? Yeah, you... exactly. What kind of car did you drive today? Did you know that wasn't built locally and organically? Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, because you know what? If you went to craft beer cellar in Chicago, you certainly would not get anything from Great Raft. So why don't you shut the fuck up? Because these yeah. are two guys that are born and raised in New Orleans and uh, <laughs> love beer just like you and me. So stop being a fucking asshole. Yeah. Okay. Um, mm. But my on, on the subject of my picture, I'm very yes. excited. Um, that is actually the... Uh, 1989 Batman soundtrack, um, recently repressed by a company called Mondo. Um, really? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I actually went. Uh, I did all my Christmas shopping really early, so now when when things are coming out, I'm like, eh, I can buy that for myself. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so this this company Mondo does a lot of. Actually, if you look, the yes, uh, the I saw that. That's wall, pretty tight. Yes, uh, that's that was commissioned by Mondo as well. Um, so uh, this company, they do a lot of like movie memorabilia, a lot of like limited edition stuff. So um, they recently released the uh, 1989 Danny Elfman Batman soundtrack, and uh, I had to go ahead and get it for myself um, because if we go back to the episode we had with J.K., that is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. So yeah. Um, just wanted to share that with everyone. Um, if you are interested in, in stuff like that, Mondo Tees, T-E-E-S dot com. Yeah, I'm on it right now. Yeah. They got some good art. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, they got a sweet... Uh, oh, sweet. They got a Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and the, and the World's End posters. Which it's a um, yeah, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, they've got a um, certain style to them. I'm thinking uh, kind of like uh, Invincible. Have you ever read Invincible? Kirkman's Invincible. Uh, no, no. That um, that type of style. I can't remember who who drew it. Um, but yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, so they commission artists to do stuff. This is actually, this is the most adult thing I have, I think. Um, my, dra <laughs> my Jurassic Park poster. Because <laughs> um, I actually went and got like a custom, like archival glass frame for it at, at Michael's. Really? And uh, yeah, it was uh, not cheap. And I only say that because uh, it, I, I got the total and it caught me off guard. Oh really? Yeah. I was like, I wanted something because so this this particular print they do some stuff that is um, they do a lot of limited edition stuff um, and they do Jurassic Park stuff all the time. Um, but I've been kind of waiting and biding my my time because I knew something that I really liked was going to come up and I can send you a more detailed shot, Brad, or or actually put it on the Twitter too, but. Yeah. In the actual like outline is um like more dinosaurs and foliage uh yeah. stuff like that. Um and uh so this went on sale at 11 a.m. um whenever I bought it months and months ago, I think in August. Uh and by 11:03 it was sold out. So huh. 
I was how like, many I, how I many prints did they do? It's numbered on here. Yeah, I mean it's not a big deal. Three hundred twenty-five. That's cool. So yeah, I I was like, you know what? I this is this is my favorite movie. I I think it's a beautiful poster. I'm gonna I'm gonna treat it right. And then they were like, uh, it's gonna be this much. I was like, I wasn't planning on treating it that right. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it wasn't too bad. I mean, to truth be told, it was two hundred bucks, which is is a lot. But I'm yeah. making it, I'm making it sound like way more than that. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's that would be sticker prices. Well, yeah, frame making and stuff mm-hmm. is always pretty pricey. Yes, um, but yeah, so uh, <laughs> that's pretty sweet. Yes, if you if you like uh, collecting movie memorabilia or or uh, if you're a borderline i don't know i guess i guess i'm pretty hip i have vinyl records so you know i'm cool yeah. i'm cool um but yeah if you're you're into that sort of thing mondotees.com um promo code tits will save you 69 percent oh yes um <laughs> interesting yeah interesting. yes uh but yeah the um i'm I'm very close to having a complete collection of my top five soundtracks. So, so, uh, uh yeah, I don't think I put, um, needle to a record mm-hmm. since I was like 10. Nice. And I think my parents had a, well, my parents did have a, a record player mm-hmm. and I never, I, you know, when I, I don't get the, I don't, understand how vinyl can possibly be as good as digital i just i don't i maybe it is but i to I be hear on, the argument and i'm yeah. like yeah to be honest i'm not an audiophile i couldn't tell you um but i will say as a music lover um with everything being so accessible in the digital age um there is something um it's it really is it's just nostalgic um which is you know there's a ton of industries just built on nostalgia um because it's a money maker um but to just be able to like hold and and flip through something while the music plays um yeah there's something something enjoyable about that and i do i own not a lot i'm pretty selective with with the stuff i i buy um just because it is so readily available digitally um, but I couldn't tell you why other people do it. I couldn't tell you what other people hear, why they think it's so much better. Um, but I love the artwork and I love the music. So, yeah, no, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's one thing I do miss about, um, especially like, well, when, when it got to like, well, even the tapes and then the CDs and stuff, mm-hmm. it, there was a lot, there was, there used to be a lot of artwork like mm-hmm. I, well, tool for one would spend a ton of time putting a ton of stuff into their um their album you know right artwork and stuff and that's yeah a bygone a bygone era but definitely cool. definitely uh yeah we kind of kind of fell down uh yeah i mean it's, it's movie related at least sure ostensibly um, ostensibly uh but yeah beer any uh any other good beer stuff going on with you 
No, I'm probably going to get some good stuff this week. We're going up to um, we're going up to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania this weekend. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. It's uh, right near Allentown. The song that uh, Billy Joel made so popular. Mm. Never and... heard it. Hate Billy Joel. <laughs> really? Yes, I've I well maybe I've heard it. I don't know that I've heard it. And yes, I hate Billy Joel. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I yeah I don't like him really as a guy, but there he does have some catchy tunes. But I'm more of a um, a uh, what do you call it? Elton John fan. Yeah, that's where I don't you, know. got, you got to line up on one side. Of the that's other. how I uh, Madman Across the Water, one of my favorite albums. Mm-hmm. Couldn't couldn't tell you a Billy Joel album. Um. Anyways, we're going up to Bethlehem, and uh, my wife and I am uh, Ryan and his wife are going up. There, my wife and her are going to a thing. I mom so hard. It's like a comedy act type thing <laughs> that they've seen a couple times. And, I mom. Uh, they're playing so up hard. there. Um. Uh. But anyways, I'm sure we'll get into some good beers up there. Nice. Yeah. So. I like it. Um, actually, I did want to bring up, since you mentioned Ryan, uh, something beer-related. Uh, I was listening to the Span the Void episode where Ryan got back from uh, Ireland. Ar- yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was pissed. I really wanted to call that episode Ryerland. <laughs> what did What did Jim call it? Selfish uh, bitch. Orion's or yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. Ryerland's good, though. I like it. Um, it'll always be Ryerland in my heart. And anyways, he, so it's funny cause he mentioned, uh, that someone said to him like, Oh, be careful. American drinking these uh, beers. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and my buddy Brennan who lives in Germany got the same, uh, spiel. He's like, Hey, listen, this is German beer. Like be careful. Mm-hmm. Be careful. And he texts me all the time. He's like, I can't find a fucking beer over 7%. (laughs) (laughs) That stinks. Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, I mean, it goes both ways because we have, like, there's this uh, cliche or or stereotype that, like, German beer. Yeah, this this conception that German beer is the end-all, be-all of beer. Yeah. I think it honestly just stems from like they're they have these rigid purity laws and stuff like that. So I think people just think like, oh, they take their beer seriously. It's good. No. Um, I I've had German beers I, that um, someone actually brought home for me from Germany, and it's a small sample population, but it was honestly like th- drinking a loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to condemn all. German beers for that, but, and it was good too, to be honest with you. Uh, but it was, you know, I didn't like it as much as I like the beer I'm drinking tonight, for example. Yeah. Uh, but it's just so funny because I think we, we think of that as being like the pinnacle of beer and they're over there thinking that we all drink Bud Light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, um, it's weird because my cousin who recently, uh, retired from the, the Air Force, mm-hmm. who was over there, um, came back and his all his like he's not a big ipa guy he's all the half of license are you still there yes okay i don't know what happened with the video but we are good there okay um 
Uh, but yeah, he he kind of he leans towards you know that lighter the pilsners um, and lagers. Yeah, pil- yes, yeah. Uh, thing where um, I don't know if that's just because that's what he was exposed to for a long longer period of time, or yeah, I would I think so. What. But yeah, um, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna retweet a couple things on our account. All right, I found I found a sweet little um. Uh, um, uh, Twitter account called Weird History, and nice. it just shows like uh, pictures through history that are pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, uh, I retweeted the the man who laughs, uh, oh, nice. which was the inspiration for the Joker. Yes, and also I re- retweeting the uh, Antwerp before they became the Antwerp. <laughs> uh, it's funny to look at to see Ninja and Yolandi. Normal-ish. Normal-ish. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I like it. Oh, and the reason I went on there, uh, well, the reason I went on there is because yesterday I was scrolling through it. I started to follow. I, I followed it on our account. Oh, here it is. I'm going to retweet it. Um, it's a portable record player made by Sony in 1982. So it's like a like the the Walkman, only it's, um, if you go onto our account, I think maybe you'll, be able to see it shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Ah, but it's been a while, guys. Relax. Yeah. We haven't talked for a while. Yes. Calm we'll down. We'll get into the good stuff. Calm down. Why are you freaking out? Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. It has been a while. So I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. Glad we're talking. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yes, so yeah, well, now that why don't we, why don't we talk about a little bit of movies? Yes, let's let's talk. I'm trying to, I can't remember what I assigned you. Uh, you assigned me the Barclay Marathon. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, good. Let's do it. Uh, I was a fan of this. Let me pull up the info. Um, because like all good podcasters, I'm did it always make you want to run? Uh, no. Oh, damn it. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, but I I loved it. Uh, I this was um, not quite uh, Jiro dreams of sushi. Um, well, it, it, yeah, it on, is, on the but it's like the yes, yeah. It is. It's very much in that vein. But on it's like the, the yin. And, it's the yin and the yang of it, right? Yeah, so on the scale of me smiling the entire time, it's not quite okay. Jiro Dreams of Sushi, but I, oh man, I had I just enjoyed this from from start to finish. Uh, it's only an hour and twenty nine minutes, um, and uh, to say it stars anyone, uh, Lazarus Lake and and Raw Dog. Um, yeah. that's that's it. That's <laughs> yeah, good enough. That's who you need. Um, but here we go. So in the first, in its first 25 years, only 10 people have finished the Barclay marathons based on a historic prison escape. This cult like race tempts people from around the world to test their limits of physical and mental endurance in this documentary that contemplates the value of pain. I don't know if I would say that it contemplates the value of pain, I think that I think that that's in there but 
Um, anyways, so this this Barclay Marathon is in the backwoods of Tennessee, put on by Raw Dog in Lazarus Lake. Uh, and it's wild. Um, so even before we get to the race, um, interesting things about it. If you're a one, there's there's probably more now. Um, but prior to this documentary, um, one of the things that they kind of really hang their hat on is this um, race is a mystery. People know about it, but they don't know much about it. There's not someone made a joke about like, oh, yeah, you just go on the Internet. I'm just kidding. There's nothing on the Internet about hmm. it. Um, and uh, so this is kind of an underground, uh, like the descriptor says, cult race. Uh, and it talks about um, the entry app. The application fee is a dollar and 60 cents. Uh, and if you are accepted, if it's your first year running, you have to bring a license plate from where you're from. And then, uh, from there, the actual like entry fee is basically just something that Lazarus needs. So one year it was socks. He got a bunch of socks. Um, I think he made a point of saying like collared white shirts was one of them. Yep. (laughs) And just... So stuff he needs. Um, yeah. Which is pretty funny. I didn't know that it had this subtitle, The Race That Eats Its Young. Yeah, I, I it's the the descriptors on these it, it doesn't do it justice. No, it's it's no, not it even I mean it, it there is a mystique about it. Mm-hmm. Um and it, like the movie's kind of broken up into a couple different parts really. It's yeah. it's the, like the origin of it and then the race itself, like the guy himself and then the race that happens in this particular time period, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. Um, so, like, I've done, I mean, I've probably done, to say 100 races, maybe not, but I'm not too far off, okay. I, I would say. Yeah. And and what I love about this race, and, like, is, I'll see, like, you know, I've done the Ironman, you know, I've done local 5Ks. I've done everything. And one of the things, it's just like everything is either sponsored, which is understandable. Like you have to raise the funds right. to be able to close the streets, get the police people, you know, to, you know, um, uh, to g- get volunteers to pay for drinks and food afterwards and all this stuff that goes on. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, in at the local, you know, 5K to up to in, like I, the Ironman or like doing a, like a big city marathon would be the highest end of it where there's just so much money put into it. The entry fees, you know, for a half mar- Ironman, it's like 350 bucks. It's craziness, mm-hmm. you know, for a full, it's like even more, you know, the Boston marathon, you know, there's a waiting list. Like you I unless I was sponsored, I'd have to raise like $10,000 because I'm not fast enough to qualify for Boston. Like I'd have to raise like $10,000 in, charity just to be able to do the race um oh i didn't know that i knew yeah, it's, you, i knew it's there very, were qualifying times but i didn't know that there were other yeah. other options um, yeah i mean they cap out at a certain because it's such a prestigious thing right so like you go from that which is just very corporate very and very litigious you you know um you know there's people uh medics and all that stuff around everywhere you know you finish you know, there's a medical tent there you have to go to and stuff. 
we go from that to this, which is like a guy just wanting people to test their boundaries and it's on you. Yeah. If you, you know, do it at your own risk, there's, you know, there's nothing. It's, it's in, I think it's uh, appealing for, especially um, people who are looking for that, you know, that race to, you know, there's people out there like looking for vinyl records or whatever it is, right. you know, that they're trying to do. And this is one of those like bucket list race, I think for people. Yeah. Because it is so not corporate mm -hmm. and all that. So, well, there's one thing that they touch on, um, that they, they explore enough that I'm satisfied, but I'd still love it if they expand upon it is the mentality of the people, uh, that show up to this, um, and it's Lazarus talking about his race, and, and he's saying, he's like, the people that show up are people who they achieve. Like, he's talking about, you know, people with doctorates, grad students, like, people who face adversity um, and, and, and rise to the occasion. Um, so I think it's interesting, the mentality of the type of, excuse me, of the type of people that want to show up to and, and seek out this race. Um, because I did kind of notice that too, when they were talking about people, it's a lot of, um, it, it's a lot of people in who have like science degrees, if not doctorates. Um, and a lot of people who, um, have, have chosen difficult paths. Um, Albeit a more uh, knowledge based versus physical, um, all, all but, career paths that are like that require driven personalities, yeah, like yes. alpha, alpha demanding a, type A personalities. Type A, yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's interesting, and and you get to meet this cast of cast of people. Um, and the other thing that they were talking about that that was very interesting as far as the psychology of the racers is. Um, they're in competition with each other, um, but as it gets whittled down, because this is an absolutely like grueling task, as it gets whittled, and you can hang it up, you know, you know, you can wave the white flag, uh, and most people do. As it gets whittled down to less and less people, the people who have chosen not to continue kind of wind up in this support role they want to see someone mm -hmm. succeed and i think that that's really cool that like this this um community of competitors i guess that it creates and breeds. Well, that that's one of the things that i've seen through some of the more the longer endurance races mm -hmm. that it does like the that community is like especially on race day you know, outside of that, I don't know these people very well, mm. but like the, like the five K's and stuff are whatever they are. There's a, you know, whatever, you know, people go out to do either just to do it, you know, to say they did it or, you know, it's a goal, you know, they're trying to lose weight, they go out and do it. But whenever you get into these longer endurance, whether it's a half marathon or marathon or the Ironmans, the community is very like they, everything is like a common goal and it is very supportive. Mm -hmm. but like but inside like like you said when their race is done they support the hell out of it but during the race it is like cutthroat mm -hmm. you know it, but I you're you're I'm glad you picked up on that because the community around it like this like they're all there for a common goal it's like yes. hey we can do this thing and like especially in these ultra 
marathon type races you know like um i think there's a what is it the bad badlands race or uh, i can't remember the names of it like the like the 100 you know those 100 mile races and stuff it's just stupid long you know couple days it's just um the it's a very everyone's there for the common a common thing and and mm-hmm. i find that the community there is it's always like there's no assholes mm-hmm. it, it's it's really it's a really cool thing i'm glad you picked that up yeah um there's also a really good it's uh one of the quotes um that i enjoyed was um uh, well before i get to that there's people when you see these people coming back to uh to camp um they're just their legs are just shredded um like yeah. they've been running through thorn bushes uh running a marathon through thorn bushes um but there's one of the racers julian he has a quote that says i think most people would be better off with more pain in their lives honestly um i think that in nothing else you would appreciate the pain free times yep um etc you've struggled you've overcome you've gotten through then you're confident and you both uh can enjoy the rest of your life more um but you also feel like you can do things and take on challenges that you wouldn't otherwise try and you get to points that you wouldn't otherwise reach Mm. um and yeah i think that that's one thing that that impressed me about these people is they were willing to endure um and it's voluntary um but they were willing to endure like some some pretty tough stuff and uh, Lazarus himself, I think it's one of the last things, uh, to paraphrase, I think it's one of the last things that he says, um, was like, I don't think the people that do this race are made of better stuff, but I do think that once they're done, they're better for it. Mm. So, Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, if you, uh, it's one of the easiest things in the world to like, uh, like everyone wants to set new goals and stuff or whatever. Um, and like signing up for even like a 5k or whatever you want to like if something you haven't ever done before is uh it if you set yourself for that goal and train for it and accomplish it and this is to the utmost extreme mm-hmm. with this this kind of race um that yes it it will it is very rewarding um uh and it makes you yeah driven or whatever and maybe these people are already driven to a point where it's sometimes unhealthy mm-hmm. um because there are some like fanatics about it and um i i did really like the one the guy that he picked out like his uh what did he called it like a sheep or a goat or whatever the guy that he knew was going to fail uh-huh um me- remember the how sacrificial he said he was, like, lamb or something yeah sac- yeah like the guy that he knew like in any other circumstance, that guy is like a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, these the people that like can fin- like even get like three quarters away through this race or finish this race are like very elite. It's pretty tough, elite yeah. athletes. Yeah, it's tough stuff. <laughs> so. um, yeah, they they are, and uh, yeah. So I guess well, we didn't explain the race, so it is. Um, a 20 mile loop um, during the daytime. And then you do a counterclockwise loop of that in the nighttime. Uh, and then there's another 20 mile loop the next day. And 
the That's next your night, choice. another 20 mile loop. Yeah. Uh, and then the, so the first three, if you finish the first three, they call that the fun run. Yeah. Um, which is considering how, how many people show up after, <laughs> after the first one, um, and, and call it, uh, to say that's a fun run. It's insane. Um, but it's one of the fun things, one of the kind of quirky things about this this whole experience um, is that this grueling um, full day and a half of, of running is, is considered the fun run. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's – uh, your final lap is um, the first person to do it can choose to either run clockwise or counterclockwise. Um, and then everyone else who's left on that fifth lap um, goes back and alternates forth. back and forth. Yeah. yeah. So, so that is the Barclay marathons. It's a hundred miles of just insane terrain and uh, seeking out books. And it, it's, yeah, just, it's just a great, great way to, yeah. Um, just, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's there's a weird 11 checkpoints and, and throughout the course and so you, um so you can't cheat yeah and you have to uh tear a page from the checkpoint is a book and you have to tear a page from it and yeah. return to base camp with it yeah this this movie would not or not not this movie or well the race and the movie i guess would not be as fun and like intriguing if it wasn't for like the you know what it was based on and the you know the directors of it you know yeah. like they're so like backwoods kind of simple people you know mm -hmm. what i mean like um they're just like it's in like didn't you feel like you like you i to me i felt like i was kind of being left out because i wouldn't i'm not it's so exclusive. I'd really like just to go hang out and go watch it or even have a chance to one run one loop of it. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it definitely um, ignites this curiosity for sure. Yeah. Um, but I. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have have a uh, desire to get out there and join them. I'm just, hmm. I guess, not driven like that. Um but it's it's fun and it's interesting and um, I give it a strong recommendation. It's streaming on Amazon Prime, and if you want to watch, um, you can watch some Juno ripoff quirky quirk fest. But if you want something that's quirky, uh, not for the sake of quirkiness, um, and genuinely interesting, I'd say the Barclay Marathons has you covered. Yeah, yeah. Because it's quirky, sure. it's weird, um, it's fascinating. Uh, it's it, it, the tone's right for the the right, filmmakers yeah. made a tone right. Yeah, they understand their subject matter well enough that they know that you know. Because this could just as easily have like a British narrator saying the the Barclay Marathons are some of the most grueling. Mm. <laughs> yeah, or. You could have fun with it, which is the purpose uh, that that um, Lazarus Lake came up with, and the fact that his name is Lazarus is so funny to me. Yeah, um, and the yeah, just him starting to start time. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, As all great races, light a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, 
It's great. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. It's, oh, it's, I loved it. There's so much. There's a lot of fun to be had. Good. Yeah. Very good. All right. Um, oh, uh, from the, I don't know. Uh, well, so you had me watch a movie, uh, The Love Me When I'm Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about uh, the legendary director Orson, Orson Welles and his final project, uh, his final movie. <clears throat> And um, uh, what is the other side of the wind? Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, I guess the epic saga in the filming of it, and uh, what all went into it. So, <laughs> I guess the best way to describe this movie is it's a movie. A, it's a movie. Or it's a it's a documentary disguised as a movie about a movie about a guy who makes a movie hmm. which is really about the guy who's making a movie yeah it's 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 there's there's a lot of layers to it so what what this is is this is a very stylistic uh documentary um they have a narrator who um who it man i don't even know how to it's hard to explain this. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Okay, I, I was kind of using so, you as the canary. Yeah. Um, it, the the style of the documentary is is kind of there's an affect to it that is kind of it. it it's kind of reminiscent of what Orson Welles was trying to do. So, if I can set it up, you know, Orson Welles is this you know, Titan of a man, you know, mm-hmm. this, uh, Titan of the industry, you know, obviously made and started since a cane, um, you know, has, had done a, a ton of things before or after, or after that. Um, and it kind of is explaining his last project. So what, what had happened to Orson Welles, he had so much, uh, you know, success with, uh, Sister Kane, and as he was getting older and older, he was doing, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to try to get my ideas focused here because I, I had a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts in this because Orson Welles, towards his end, reminded me a lot of Kevin Smith <laughs> because of he, he wanted to do certain things that made him like that. Uh, he wanted to make right not mm-hmm. so much he didn't want to please the studio um and i'm talking kevin smith in his later years mm-hmm. um he like he was uh, he really wasn't an indie filmmaker from like the 50s and 60s orson wells was like the stuff he was doing was so different from the studio um he was just getting getting away from that um he was having a lot of trouble with the studios and just because he wasn't he wasn't satisfied in doing the norm, you know, the big, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, um, um, lot shoots and stuff like that. He just he didn't want to do that. And like he had exiled himself to like Italy um, and France and just was trying to get away. And what he wanted to do, he had a script kind of of that he wanted to make this big picture and 
it the movie he was making was about a filmmaker who, who was at the end he was it was a it was shot as a documentary about making a film so he had John Huston which is weird be the lead actor mm-hmm. which who is also a titan but yes. also being a stand-in for, for himself Orson Welles as and it was and and Peter Bogdanovich was like in the movie uh Rich Little like uh, people were in and out of this movie uh different like this movie never really got completed right and be- because and it explains it explains it in the documentary that it took like f- 10 years to like shoot scenes like they'd be shooting scenes like uh doing reshoots on scenes like 5 years later like it, so I, there was one scene where <laughs> terrible, a guy yeah. threw a punch mm-hmm. they cut and picked up like a year and a half later and then the guy was they picked up the the pickup scene was the guy reacting to the punch like a year and a half later what shot one was shot in like europe and the next the next scene was shot in like los angeles it was just a very bizarre shooting schedule very bizarre story like i had no idea really what it what it was he was doing like i honestly think he was losing his mind at the end of like it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, of marlon brando too just like this auteur thing like you're too smart for your own good um trying to do things like he was fighting with hollywood the whole time he wasn't getting funded um he had some like iranian guy who was like funding it for a little while and then totally disappeared um yeah i, I like it was fascinating it like i didn't like it as much as i liked um what was that uh the island of dr moreau um yeah the uh lost soul lost souls yeah um that one was a, a lot more the documentary style was a lot more concise and uh, focused. This mm. felt like the documentary felt like the documentary they were shooting. It was really all over the place. It was hard to follow all the different storylines and what was going on. And um, like, I, I found it really interesting because I really didn't know that much about Orson Welles other than he was a, just a Titan of Hollywood. You know, he was like, you know, the old guard mm-hmm. and what had happened to him. Um, towards the end, because if you think about it, like guys like John Houston and like all the, all these bigger characters coming in and, uh, and all, it, it just, he had a, a truly indie, um, indie sense of, or had an indie sensibility, right? Like he wanted to, test the boundaries of the the media medium mm-hmm. and uh and i i think he was a little bit uh before his time i think because you know as um you know as time went on of course they 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 shit on like jaws and star wars like they 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 really did they it it felt like the slant was very it was whoever the filmmaker was i was really kind of put a uh, put off on the way they were uh portraying it um but mm. i and all it's a it's a worthwhile watch um 
there is a final cut of uh, the other side of the wind on uh, on Netflix, which yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start to watch this. And then I got like 10 minutes in. I'm like, I'm not going to watch it <laughs> because it is a dis like from what, um, because he never finished it. I think it was finished by Bogdanovich and a couple other people. And I, it just, it's just a disorganized kind of mess of a thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm good. I think, uh, like I, I got the idea from the documentary. I think it's if you're um, a history or if you love the history of movies, and Orson Welles is a big part of that history. Yeah, I think it's a worthwhile watch. Otherwise, like a random watcher, like wants to just learn a little bit about a subject, this is a little bit too much of an artsy dive into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think you'd mind it. I know you hate Peter Bogdanovich a lot. And he he comes off as hateable and punchable, so I think I don't think you would mind watching this. Um, but it it is a it gets a little heady at times. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I'm lo- I'm looking at his IMDb right now, and yeah. Peter Bogdanovich was conceived in Europe, but born in Kingston, New York. Shut the fuck up. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> that's so annoying. Well, that that's the other Anyways. thing that happened in this movie is that, mm-hmm. um, like, Bogdanovich was, like, when this movie started, whenever mm-hmm. he started filming this movie, Bogdanovich was just, like, a very raw, young actor. And then he did, like... And then by the time they were doing other scenes for this movie, by the time, it, like, he had done Paper Moon and Last Picture Show. Yeah. And, like, so there was, like, a huge gap. So he was, like, the it guy in mm-hmm. Hollywood by the time they were shooting these next scenes. And, like, and now... So weird. And Bogdanovich is, like, this great actor or great director, and he's working with this kind of washed-up, you know, has-been... Orson Welles and John Houston still there, and it's just—it's an odd, odd uh, trip down memory lane. They get some good interviews. Um, uh, it's weird. I—I I never knew Danny Houston, which you may not know his name, and maybe it'll come up sometime on uh, uh, that guy actors. But um, he is uh, Striker from X Men Origins. Mm-hmm. He's also like the the lead vampire from. Uh, what thirty one or thirty days of night? Mm-hmm. Um, that is John Houston's son. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, which is kind of you know, I did one of the things I learned in it. But um, Dennis Hopper's in it, uh, not as not as like a talking head, but like back then, like this, and it's weird. It's like this young. Like when you think of Dennis Hopper, and of course he's dead now, but right. um, you know, my, I was first introduced to Dennis Hopper. What was it? Was it maybe it was? I think I was like the first time I saw him was an Easy Rider, but I when I didn't know, and then the second time it was like Speed, you know, and then then I started to look, like watch like other stuff that he was in, um, you know, so like, but it was neat to see him as a young person kind of um you know 
um, reflecting on the craft and what, like what was going on because he, like at that time he was like this young, like dynamo. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, kind of digressing and, and rambling, but I would say if you love movies and you love the history of movies, this is a worthwhile watch. Um, cause I did enjoy it, but if you don't, I, it, I would not suggest it. Like I would have never have my wife watch it. Mm-hmm. I would have, <laughs> I definitely would have, you take mm-hmm. a uh, look at it. Put my eyes on it. So, yep. So, yeah. And uh, that is streaming on Netflix. Noise, 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 noise. Well, good. I'm I'm glad that there was at least some some value there. I was not sure mm-hmm. what to uh, how that was going to go. Yeah, I well, like like I said, Lost Souls, I would recommend over this for sure but there's it's got some uh, well it's got a lot of history and value to it for sure Mm -hmm. so um i did crank out a couple extra stuff thanks yes yeah um Um, go go ahead um i think this is streaming on is it streaming on i have to kind of look stuff up um so I watched uh, I watched two documentaries. One was two more documentaries. One was Three Identical Strangers, um, which is a very it's a very fascinating documentary. Uh, the opening scene is a kid goes to college, first day of college, gets on campus. People are like, "Hey, good to see you again. Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you doing?" And like he just doesn't know what's going on. Gets to his dorm room, walks in. And the guy's like, you aren't, you aren't coming back this semester. And he's like, what? And, and then he, the guy realizes, he's like, okay, you got to get in the car. And they drive to this place. And he meets his estranged identical twin. <laughs> and then, I guess, well, you'll see it from the poster. They find a third one. So yes. Three. Three identical strangers. Uh, Yes, triplets separated birth, and they find each other within a year, and um, it goes from the absurd to like the crazy, and it's a really fascinating look. Um, I, I I highly recommend. I think you would have fun watching this with Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's trading on uh, uh, Fredo Flicks. Nice. <clears throat> um. Uh. Pa, pa, pa. And uh, movie, have you have you seen Hot Coffee? Hot Coffee? No. Yes. I know right. about the mod in uh, one of the Grand Theft Auto games. Really? Yeah. It's called Hot Coffee. You can bang a prostitute. Super nice. hot stuff. Um. All right. So this is streaming on Prime. Mm-hmm. All right. So we all we all know the. Uh, the frivolous lawsuit of the lady spilling coffee on herself and mm-hmm. suing McDonald's, right? Yes. You know, for like three, six, ten billion dollars or whatever it was, right? Well, this this documentary takes a look at this this actual case and then a couple other cases talking about like frivolous lawsuits and like where this went. And this actually takes a look at the person that it happened to and what actually happened. And 
it's it's not a long. Um, let me look and see how long it is. It's an hour and twenty eight minutes. Um, you can probably get out of it in the first forty five if you like you really want to because it, it 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 goes into like three other cases which are intriguing in in and of themselves. But like you're there for the hot coffee. <clears throat> Things aren't what they seem when when you think about this, like, cause like you're thinking you could sue for anything that now, you know, you spill hot coffee on yourself. You know, it's that it's a joke, right? Mm-hmm. This, this lady, this old lady spilled hot, like skin grafts, like nasty burns. Like it, like it is not what it seems. And she wasn't like a gold digger trying to just get every, it was, she just wanted medical bills. It's, it's a very fascinating look at, uh, how, the, and I hate like the fake news thing. I hate it so much, but they're like, this isn't, this isn't like the journalism thing. This is like, you know, morning talk shows or talk shows at night or whatever it is, you know, that kind of thing. And it, and it, the way we can spin something to make it fit a narrative, I think, uh, very interesting. Uh, I would highly recommend that, that documentary. Um, nice. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah. Pretty fucking great. Okay. Um, just action packed from front to back, and Tom just knowing that Tom Cruise is doing all the shit that he's doing in this. Yeah, that's badass. Yeah, and there's a Halo jump, like a five minute Halo jump, that was shot. I think he had to do it like my brother was telling me he had to do it like a hundred times, like a halo. So a high altitude, wow. low opening jump has to do it a hundred times. And they could only do it for three minutes each day because the, the way the sun was, uh, and it's right at the beginning of the movie. So it is, it's, it is, it is just pure action. And it's, it's, it, I mean, we love Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. Even though he's a crazy person. We love him. Yeah. I mean, so. he is a movie star. Yeah. And then I watched all the Purge movies. Nice. Which is weird. Nice. How was How that? Was uh, you know, I, I think I was telling you, or maybe I was telling Ryan. <clears throat> I get you and Ryan mixed up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the idea of the purge, I love the idea of the purge, right? Yes. Like, th- that idea is a movie or, you know, a screenplay or whatever it is. I just love that idea, right? Yeah, the first yeah. I- specify that it's not. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of the purge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, we need to get rid of, like, the, all the people. The movies are boring, but I'd really like it if for one night. Yes. Um, so, like, the first purge movie was, you know, just pretty much um, isolated place it was just one house you know one family's deal with the purge and the rest of them kind of branch out and kind of get a more of a global look at it or more a national look i guess not global because it's just you know america um you know and the first one is just pretty much one man's you know or one man and one family struggle to keep his family safe and all that stuff but the other ones kind of get more into the political aspects a lot to say a lot of heavy themes just beating you over the head with it yeah. Um not not great movies, but I just love the idea so much of as a screenplay and I like the fact that they try to keep coming up with new ideas on how to present it and how to make it new. Um 
I, I don't love the movies, but I kind of now am in love with them. I'll probably see the next one for sure because I saw like the election year and yeah. the first purge and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, I'd say, kind of like the Saul franchise, right? Sure. Kind of inventive and mm-hmm. a weird idea that is kind of, you know, tickles a, tickles a niche or scratches a tickle. Yeah, it makes you think enough. As far as, as like when the next one comes out, you're gonna be like, "Oh, what's that all about?" Um, yeah. I think they're doing it's, it's a... kind of like the zombie thing, where like, what would you do? Like, where would you go? What would you, you know? Sure, it, yeah, you picture yourself. Yeah, kind of it. It um, it, it engages those like base instincts. You know, how do you protect yourself? Yeah, how who do I protect? Would I kill somebody if I had to? Yeah, questions I don't want to answer. No. I don't think I. No, never. No, I shouldn't say that. A lot of people wouldn't answer. There's a lot of psychos out there. Yeah. Hell yeah, I'd love the purge, bro. Well, I'm I'm doing that dance, so uh, I think it might it's break time. All right, we will brb. All right. So, purge. (laughs) Nice. Uh, yeah, that's one of those. Like, I want to. I'm getting a lot of. Feedback. I don't know. Oh, my phone's on my computer. Oh, better? it's um, it's not you. I, I'm I'm hearing like an echo of myself. So I'm gonna plug. All right. Ooh. All right. Good. So here we go. Uh, yeah. So the purge definitely. Um. I want, it's one of those where I just want to sit down and like knock a couple of them out at once. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's pretty much what I did. I mean, it's kind of mindless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's heady a little bit, but it's not great filmmaking. Yeah. A couple. Seems- um, yeah, there's not a whole lot of. I'm trying to think now. There's not like after the you know with Ethan Hawke in the first one. Um, after that, it's it's maybe some character actors you recognize, but for the most part, it's you know just character actors. Mm-hmm. The rest of them. Yeah, I actually I, one of the interesting things I heard is um, once it got more independent, it got more interesting. Like the first one's a good idea, but they like play it safe, and then the next ones are kind of more. Um, Kind of the the people holding the reins let go a little bit, mm-hmm. and it becomes more of a like. I think they're still in theaters, but kind of like not not tentpole movies. I think they were trying yeah. to make a tentpole movie with the first one. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> sorry, I had to clear my throat. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen, I saw the the trailers and stuff for the you know this recent one, the first Purge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, pretty kind of much in, in theaters, out of theaters. Uh, let me look at the box office real quick. Uh, I mean, it, <laughs> it budget was 13 million opening weekend was 17 worldwide or gross worldwide was 127. So still making money. Um, so there'll be another one, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think there's a, it, at the very least, there is a um, TV series coming out. 
Purge 2018. Yes. Yeah. yeah, TV series season. Wait, what? Yeah, I think it's been out for a little bit. Oh. Well, that's my bad. Yeah, I yeah it started in uh, September of this year. So Yeah. Whoops. I'm late. No. Looks like it's on Prime Video, too. Oh, really? Maybe. Nice. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Let me... <laughs> Your saga continues. Yeah. I might fall down that rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, but I did. I, I rewatched Michael Clayton, which was a nice little thing to... Nice, uh, yeah. Get into. Yeah. Um, I Speaking of, I was telling you this. I rewatched some of... The Big Lebowski. It's streaming on on Netflix right now, and I just um, I was watching something else. Well, Black Panther. We'll talk about it in a moment. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching Black Panther, and then afterwards, there was something that was like, "Oh, continue watching," and The Big Lebowski was on there. I was like, "Nice." Well, I mean, since you asked, yeah, I guess I will. <laughs> um, and I just kind of did like a greatest hits through through a couple of my favorite scenes and man that movie is just so i don't know if it was just um blind luck or or meticulous planning or a combination of both but like that is one of i i think that that movie's a masterpiece yeah like it, it is just like it's so well crafted and it's so um ridiculous in its it's premise that I think that that either would um, turn some people away from giving it that label or, but I, I, I think that it's, it's a high watermark of, yeah. of screenwriting and, and yeah. acting obviously is phenomenal, um, which always helps a, a screenplay feel stronger. Um, but I think that movie is just like, it is, and I think Fargo is fantastic too, but I really think um, the Big Lebowski is the type of movie, at least for me, that like every time I go back to it, it's you, you know you you have your favorite lines, you have your favorite scenes, and and um, it's one of those where the kind of cliched thing of like oh I you know I notice something new every time that that just that holds true for me for that that is the movie where every time i watch it um i i just pick out something else that makes me laugh or something else that just just feels good to watch unfold i guess right um the i think what makes it great and and i think what uh, the coen brothers are really good at Mm -hmm. um is they have such a like such a command and they know exactly who their characters are um Mm -hmm. And I think that with that one in particular, and, and like you said, Fargo's great, and they had some great actors, but I think the cast that they got between Jeff Bridges and you know uh, John Goodman and and um, you know just everybody in that cast was just I mean almost perfectly cast. And the way I think that's the difference between all of them is that you know none of it was a great script. And they had a such a command of who they they knew exactly who these characters were. They were able to direct people that were like able to maybe put their own spin on it, but also like just pull off their 
their vision of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, 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 you know, as far as uh, Coen Brothers movies go, well, I'm trying to think. I mean, this one has a lot more moving parts to it. You know, a lot, a really big cast. You know, you think of Fargo, you think of uh, Raising Arizona, you think of, I'm trying to think of whatever. Um, uh, well, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think. It just, it feels, feels like they just, whoever the casting director was, just knocked it out of the park because mm-hmm. it, they nailed on every one. Like, whatever, you know, the landlord, you know, to the Jesus. <laughs> the landlord's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, every time now I see that movie and I got the part I was trying for, you know, <laughs> it just, it makes me laugh so hard because I never even recognized <laughs> that part until you put it in. It is so brilliant. Hey, it's dude, so brilliant. I, that whole scene is just I got like, the venue for my cycle. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so brilliant. That whole scene is like, Oh, it's uh, amazing. Yeah. And it's like, and then, this is, this is supposed to be like, a business transaction for the for the landlord, and it ends up that ends up being an afterthought. Yes. And like even even then, it's just hey, uh, it's already the tenth. Far out, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's great, man. <laughs> no. Oh man. Yeah. It, there's just so many little things, and it really is. Yeah. Every like bit roll. It feels big. Like even. Uh, well, now I f- feel stupid because I can't remember his name, but the the private investigator, um, yes, for, for who uh, who's looking for uh, on behalf of the Knutsons, yes. Who the fuck are the Knutsons? <laughs> oh man, yeah, it it, just... and it and it's and there. What's great about it is, mm-hmm. is there's so many subtle parts to it, and then you get the bombastic craziness of like. You know the big Lebowski and the dude mm-hmm. and you know the the nihilist and <laughs> yeah. like all those big bombastic and then you get like Jackie Treehorn is just kind of very subtle you know yeah like um yeah it's it is it's a perfectly mm-hmm. it is it like you said it's a high mark it's a perfect movie yeah and it, it does now now that you mention it too it strikes that that uh that balance of like these, these highs and lows where you have these crazy moments and then you have these small moments between, um, the, the landlord again. Um, and then, you know, followed by, uh, an interaction with, uh, with Maud and her, yes, her art studio. And then you have them bowling and then they're, they're going to, uh, Larry Sellers house. <laughs> Uh, the guy just like the fat guy, kind of waddling out with, mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> so just barely trying. able to keep his robe on as he's coming out. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. There's so much great stuff in there. And then, uh, just speaking of Maud's apartment, you know, mm-hmm. the guy just laughing, just that <laughs> yeah. shitty laugh. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's good, good stuff. Um, as I mentioned, though, I also watched uh, Black Panther, finally. Um, I guess not finally, since it did. I did see it in 2018, so at least there's that. Yeah. Um, starring uh, Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, and Andy Serkis. Uh, 
Oh, he was good in this. Yeah, but I still hate him. I know. I, I, I don't care what happens at this point. Like I, I just think I'm always gonna hate him. He just um, he just directed a movie. Yeah. Oh, sounds I think like, it's sounds uh, like God's gift to movies. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. <laughs> Um, no, he, he was good as, uh, as Ulysses Claw. Uh, what did he direct? Uh, I think the follow-up of the, the Jungle Book. The oh, he, yes, 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 yes. I remember hearing about this. Legend of the Jungle. Yeah. Right on. Far out, man. Uh, hmm. yeah. That's so, like um, this is streaming like on Netflix. fucking opinion, man. <laughs> Uh, and uh, written and uh, directed by, well, uh, directed by Ryan Coogler, written by him and uh, Joe Robert Cole, as well as uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby getting credits, I believe. Um, yes, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby for the based on credits. Mm-hmm. Another Stan Lee cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, this was... A, so this was a good movie, um, but I also feel like uh, the the hype of this movie was through the roof, like astronomical. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, my, my honest opinion on it was that this has um, no business um, with, with these, these best picture talks. No, just no, because no, it's I the mean, movie you enjoyed the most this year, and I totally get that, and I'm I'm with that a hundred percent. Like, if you love a movie, you want it to get showered in accolades, and there was right. a ton of people that loved this movie. It was a long time in the making. I, I, of, you know, Black Panther has a solid fan base that has been waiting a long time. Um, yeah, and like just with the, and now like. It, it maybe it was a, as a result of you know Oscar so white kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We get you know a black movie about black characters about with a black director, you know, like not that it is like this. Like we have to make this, but like and I don't. They made a, a good movie, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, the, but it, it was it was it was Marvel formulaic though. It it was absolutely. Um, there were certain like I honestly think that um, Michael B. Jordan. I love. He was great. Um, I'm going to go back and if I watch this movie from start to finish, it's gonna be because of him. Yeah. Um, but most likely. I might just do kind of what I did with the big Lebowski last night is just do kind of a greatest hits thing. Yeah. Every scene that he was in, he was phenomenal. He He was, if, if there's any sort of other than costume design and visual effects that are usually, um, usually Marvel and, and, uh, science fiction and more, more popular movies are kind of relegated to, um, the costume design and the visual effects stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if there's anything that should be like broken into like the top five, I, I think more than any sort of directorial, which the directing was serviceably good. Um, the action scenes were, you know, not, not the best. Um, uh, Chadwick Boseman was really good, but he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, Definitely, I I could see him getting a uh, best supporting actor nod. He was phenomenal in this. Yeah, it's really good. To yeah. honestly, to the level that um, like I I think of of Heath Ledger. Of, okay. Like well, I, yeah, I think I that this that is. Far, but. I well, I think that that Heath Ledger is a great performance, elevating a good movie. I think that Michael B. Jordan gave a great performance elevating a good movie. Okay. Um, and I know that f- for some reason that everyone else is not seeing The Dark Knight for what I think it is, um, which is a, a good movie at best with 45 minutes of phenomenal character acting. Um but that's that's kind of what I think this is. Like Black Panther was a good movie at best, um, with a phenomenal character portrayed by Michael B. Jordan. I, I yeah. thought I thought Killmonger was awesome. I thought the one thing that that kind of breaks the Marvel Marvel formula is I felt like he had a much more um, personal motivation. Um, oh, he's well. He was I, very developed. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a oh. lot more than like, what's his name? Uh, I mean, even Bucky, as much as they tried to develop him, he was like a one note fucking character. He is so milk toast. He's so bad. He's so bad. So, and even when he shows up in the, um, in the extra <laughs> or, or in the bonus scene, it's like really, I just sit through all the credits for this. Um, but yeah, Marvel Marvel loves their one armed white guys lately. Yeah, real, real yeah. hot in these streets. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I thought Michael B. Jordan was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I love this character. I love the character of Killmonger and I've heard, um, nothing beyond Michael B. Jordan saying he'd be into it. Um, but I, I read an interview where he'd say he'd, he'd he'd be down for a, um, Killmonger kind of prequel spinoff. Yeah. I would love to see that movie. Yeah. Yeah, he was really good. Um, the well, just the the uh, the scars was like oddly effective. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, it, it seems like it's such a stupid thing, you know. Like, uh, what is it, Zaz? You know, from the yes, the Batman yeah. universe. Uh, but like the the symmetry of the scars, you know, it 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 was just almost disturbing to see that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, that is a, that like those are the markings of a man on a mission. Yeah, um, and yeah, I agree with you. He was he was excellent. Um, yeah, because Chadwick Boseman, I mean, he's fine. And like, um, well, this is fine. one of the big I, problems I, really I think loved, with the movie. I loved his sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she was Shuri. awesome. She was really good. Yeah, and like because I watched this, I watched this after I watched uh infinity war right yeah so same. she has a real limited uh role in infinity war which i'm glad to see her but then but like she has a really big role and it, it she was it was she was a good uh person to play off mm-hmm. chavik bozeman like 
a serious side, you know, her yeah. kind of the Yeah, she was she was um brought some some brevity to it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She was she was fun. She was really good. But I I think one of the problems with that I had with the movie was um Chala's uh he his arc was really underwhelming. Yeah. Like he really only had a there was like 15 minutes in a movie that's two hours and 14 minutes. There was about 15 minutes where he wasn't on top of the world. Yeah. It's like, eh, yeah. Underwhelming. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the whole, uh, Captain America problem, right? Yes. Yeah. You just a good, too good of a person. Like there's Mm -hmm. no, like, that's why Tony Stark's so much more interesting. And like, I love, I can't like, I, they probably won't get into it, but like you know the uh, the devil in the bottle yeah. type stuff with, mm. it, but because of of um, Pat, or Patrick Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr.'s, uh, um, we know his problems personally with like alcohol and drugs and stuff. You almost it almost bleeds over into his. Iron Man persona, right? Like you know that there's that kind of on the edge type thing, and he is a. That's why, like, he's such a great character, Iron Man. Mm. I in in my mind, where you don't get that so much with uh, Black Panther. Yeah, and I mean those those um those stories are probably there. You know, Black Panther has a pretty deep history, like forty plus years of backs backlog, um, back catalog uh at this point um but it it just uh i don't know they did not really show any struggle yeah i mean i i i enjoyed the you know um i enjoyed i i liked the uh the actual place like it just it felt yeah. a little bit too CGI'd. Yeah, when you're going into it, it it just felt a little fake. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some. I mean, there were a couple of bad instances of of uh, CGI that I was while I was watching that I was like, really, this is, and it, and also to be to be entirely fair, a lot of um, a lot of the things I caught, I probably wouldn't have caught if people weren't did, weren't you know rallying for this to be the best picture um but like when they were covering him in snow there's just some some really like low quality cgi yeah it was like come like and there were a few instances of that and yeah um but i love killmonger's arc and to me he is the crux that that makes this movie work um i i think this is a seven movie I gave it an eight strictly for Michael B. Jordan's performance, um, and and for that I definitely recommend it just because he's just so enjoyable to watch and yeah. and he has such a fantastic arc, um, and and it's a shame that just because the movie is actually supposed to be about T'Challa, um, that it kind of falls a little more flat than it. Mm-hmm. It, it could yeah, have, it could feels, have been a lot more like dynamic. The, yeah, and it it honestly it does feel he feels a little Captain America, you mm-hmm. know, it just yeah, you know, 
just a little too good little you know there's no conflict really with him other than you know the stuff that he has to fight where you know um it's kind of like thanos right like as a character like you like uh and killmonger has that same kind of you have a not i mean he's not he he has like principles right Mm -hmm. they're skewed principles um It's, I don't know. They're the best villains are the ones you kind of understand why they're, you know, yeah, what they're they, doing. They have a strong motivation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess not villains like straight up villains like you know like, you know. Well, yeah, Darth the best, Vader and best villains stuff. toe that line probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, cool. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I liked it. Um, it is streaming on Netflix, and it is it is a good movie um, it, uh, with with a great performance in it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, I also, um, well, is there is there anything else you want to uh, bring in? Uh not really. I I mean, I you know I watched a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I rewatched like the Hateful Eight. Nice. Um, yeah. And, you know, like I said, Michael Clayton. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I rewatched The Green Mile. Oh, nice. Oh, it's um, been a while since I watched that one. Fucking long movie. Okay. So, like, I haven't seen that movie in unedited form probably <laughs> yeah. since the first time I saw it because of, you know, how it's, you know, streams on TNT and TBS and all those places. Um, it. it I man, it is such a well done. Like, it is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know what it is about. I mean, Tom Hanks is great. Just, he's just great. And then Michael Clark Duncan, that them playing off each other was just a fun watch. I I haven't seen that movie. Like I said, the whole way through it, but like three hours and nine minutes long. Yeah, Fucking long movie. Um. I think it's based off a short story by by Stephen King too. So like, oof. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the other stuff I've been watching have been uh, John Hughes movies. Yes, yes. And uh, John Hughes. Um, when did he? Wow, it's been almost ten years since he passed away. That's yeah, crazy. Um, feels like maybe a couple years ago, like three, I would have yeah. guessed. Um, but John Hughes um, was big in in the eighties, um, a time that you and I kind of have talked about is kind of looked back on with this false reverence. Um, but there, yeah. there's some there's some really fantastic stuff, and I, and I think some of Definitely, some of my favorite movies from the '80s are John Hughes movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and he has a focus on uh, a lot of times he he deals with um, kind of just the middle America family structure. Uh, and uh, since we, well, we were planning this for uh, November, but since we only put out one uh, one episode in November. Mm-hmm. I figure we can talk about it now. Yeah, 
for sure. Doing the research for it. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, he. It's interesting because um, because I I was just younger, as you know, probably five or six years younger than mm-hmm. like some of the stuff he was writing for. Um, during that time, it, when we're talking about you know like Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Sixty Candles, yes. that kind of stuff, Ferris Bueller's, I was like six six years younger of. Like in watching that through, you know, a young teenager's eyes, looking up to those older teenagers, you know, um, well, actually maybe a little bit younger, but, and it's interesting to see how I, I'm, I'm anxious to see how you look at some of that stuff, uh, by looking back on it because, you know, you're looking at it, you know, at 10 years removed, right. you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And how it how it holds up for you? Because I know you love a lot of his stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he has so much, so so much. I mean, he he has fifty one writing credits, um, twenty through twenty three producer credits, um, and then I think what he's most known for, he only has eight director credits. He's only yeah, which is weird. Ones. You know, yeah. you, I I just imagine like when I started doing research i was like really like i was like i i associate him with so much more mm-hmm. yeah and he and he i mean he he passed away in 2009 what like we talked about he hadn't directed a movie since 1991's curly sue right um but yeah he was known to be a pretty like prolific writer like um for ferris bueller's day off i don't remember the exact number but like he like locked himself away in a room for a week and when he came out he had ferris bueller's day off yeah um so yeah i i mean to me and especially these movies are set in a fictitious middle-class chicago suburb which was is my upbringing um so uh to me like it was just very um just kind of resonant and especially my dad is a did huge it, did it feel familiar yeah absolutely um especially like movies like like ferris Bueller's day off like i my dad worked at the uh mercantile exchange which was right you know um like two blocks away from the uh sears tower um mm-hmm. i grew up you know my how cubs household um you know just very stereotypical stuff uh so yeah absolutely like especially something like ferris bueller's day off just just perpetually resonant and even even though that um came out two years before i was born um but yeah he he uh which obviously not exactly an overlooked demographic um but he (laughs) he definitely took um a pretty close look at that demographic um and he uh i think one of the things that i read about what someone had said about him was that uh he took teenagers seriously and mm-hmm. um i think that that shows in his work that he actually like um of course like the problems that you go through as as a middle class teenager are not the most 
um, earth-shattering stuff. But they are for you whenever you're exactly. going Exactly. And that's when, when he, um, either directing something like Breakfast Club or, or just uh, in his numerous writing credits, when you sit down and you take those things seriously – and like, of course, you grow up, and you know, um, uh, I'm 30 now. So like, the things that mattered to me when I was 15, like, yeah, I don't give a shit now. <laughs> but but at the moment, that was serious. And to have someone um, take it serious without feeling um, either panding, pandering, or, or or patronizing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it. He had a pretty unique vision um but it wasn't sorry go ahead go ahead no it it just he how he mixed humor with um with the drama Mm -hmm. you know just he was able to you know in a movie like you know first bueller's day off we get a lot of a lot of humor and a lot of that kind of stuff then you get breakfast club a lot a lot a lot of humor but also a lot of a lot more pathos you know and in the movie like pairing pink you know, starts a little bit darker or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, he really like, he kind of like within, I'd say probably within a 10 year span or maybe even shorter, probably even shorter than that. I mean, if I'm looking back on it um, and not getting into some of the other stuff, um, you know, really within like a seven year span like there's it's it's a lot of uh not even that much probably a six year span um just uh he he kind of like when it, like he didn't get too typecast until he did you know yeah. what i mean as far as a writer you mm-hmm. know whoever was like asking him to write stuff because you know between national lampoon's vacation and mr mom which great movies and then yeah. 16 candles which is straight up comedy and then you get breakfast club which gets a little darker and then you go right back at the weird science straight up comedy and pretty pink which gets into you know I, I don't know it's it's he was able to weave that yeah you know i don't know he was able to tap into that like suburban white whatever it is you know yeah yeah he i mean he was able to tap into it in like i said um a a more genuine way and it's probably reflective of his his experiences growing up um and not that you know like like uh i kind of joked earlier there's definitely no shortage of uh no shortage of people writing from that perspective and, and producing from that perspective um but he took it serious and and he um yeah, I'm kind of just repeating myself here. Yeah. Uh, but he understood the family unit, and I think that that's one of the reasons that we chose him around Thanksgiving time, around a, a, a family-heavy time. Um, there's specifically, I think, one of the greatest um, uh, fantastic buddy comedy, uh, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles um, yeah. from 1987 that he wrote and directed and um it's just it's it's goofy it's quirky and it's stupid until it's not yeah um and 
like, it's almost a dark comedy. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like it, it is one guy's nightmare, <laughs> and John Candy's along for the ride, kind of ruining it for Steve Martin. Um, well, I, I mean, he is Steve Martin's. What, is, what does he say? I, I know hell because I spent, yeah, x amount of time with Del Griffin, uh, <laughs> the shower curtain ring salesman. Oh man, I watched this and uh I am not a crier in uh really at all. Um <laughs> which... You've got a you got a hard hard soul. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um a black black heart. Yeah, my my rough suburban upbringing really hardened me. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm not, but even to this day like the um the ending of planes, trains, and automobiles is just it. It really it brings me close. <laughs> Not, um, I'm trying to think. Saint Vincent was definitely. No, oh, that was a crime. Yeah, yeah, that and, was. And Gleason. Gleason, uh, I don't think I cried during Gleason. Oh, I was a fountain. I and oh, Batman I or Bat Kid. Batman, yeah. <laughs> Eighty nine Batman. No, no, no. I'm uh, talking about no, I know. Yeah, Batman Kid, Return. Yeah. Or no, no. Uh, <laughs> Batman Forever. Yeah, that will I cr- I that'll make you cry. Yeah. Joel Schumacher, you son of a bitch. Um, but yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, it's a guy. Cert. It's um. It's almost you don't see the full scope of the movie until the end of the movie and and how uh desperate Dell is searching for someone to connect with and he's yeah. he's so alone and like the pratfalls that come with that are super funny um but then when he's standing uh, on that L train by himself it just it's i don't know it, it's just it's great writing to me is it's mm. one of those things that uh, it justifies all the previous antics of this is just someone who is so desperate for friendship and, and companionship and so lonely. And it just, oh man. And it, it also, um, Steve Martin's character who I have to look, I can't remember his name, Neil. Um, it shows that he's not, you know, immune, immune to that either that he's, decides that he wants to spend his holiday with with uh dell mm. just I, just one of the nicest moments in in movies that i can think of right now yeah and then there's of course just so many funny moments <laughs> that he just um that are are just kind of like slapsticky but still super effective like when they're driving the wrong way it's like, oh, they're drunk. How do they know, how do they know where we're going? <laughs> You're going the wrong way on the interstate is what they're getting at. <laughs> oh, they're drunk. Um, and then, of course, Steve Martin's performance is fantastic. I'm, I mean, it's hard to keep up with John Candy. Right. Well, and that's like one of the first. Uh, maybe. Yeah, it's probably one of the first movies where, um, you know, Steve Martin's the straight man. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, probably. Like, and we and we've seen it recent or since then. More so, yeah. Uh, but like you know, you get the jerk and all you know all the stupid stuff he's done before. But like him being the straight man, or or I guess in Parenthood, he's you know that's after 
after this. But um, yeah, like you expect this. It, it well, it's it's a it's a revamped version of the Odd Couple. You know, yeah. it's you know, it, um, you know, it's it's a not a modern day version, but it, at the time it was a modern day version of uh, Mathau and um, yeah, uh, what's his name? The other guy. Um, yeah, the other guy, the other grumpy. Old the man. opposite guy. Yeah, absolutely. but um, yeah, uh, um, uh, yes, planes, uh, planes. You know, digging into that and mm-hmm. just like uh, it's weird because I'm looking at the stuff he wrote and he really did tap into that. Uh, like, how do you find that niche? Like, how do you like? you know, find that niche of that young adult or, mm-hmm. well, you know, playing straight in the bills is different, a little bit different for what, it, yeah. what he's known for. <clears throat> um, but his ability to tap into that teenage angst, mm-hmm. teenage, uh, quandaries. Um, I think, and I'm, I'm like, I keep going back and forth. Like, do I, what's my favorite, the one I love the most and I, I mean, I, you know, when you talk about perfect movies, I think Ferris Bueller's Day Off is maybe one of those perfect movies. Yeah, it's just it's scene for scene, just, just from front to back, it's just yeah. you know, there's no wasted space in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all, and it it doesn't feel dated. I mean, there's a couple, that really it doesn't feel dated. I mean, other than they're not using cell phones, right? You know. Yeah, that'll be the the ultimate undoing for movies pre like two thousand and five or whenever like well there's... i think i think i made an argument on span of void at one point that like every problem in a movie could be solved with a cell phone yeah like but i don't i don't maybe not but yeah well i mean if ferris had a cell phone his mom would just call it yeah and then he'd know the jig is up that's right yeah um <laughs> uh, yeah so uh do you want to dive deep in another um, yeah, so I think maybe, I think the reason that he's able to write so well, um, is be, he understands his character so well and he understands his demographics. Um, that's why he's able to write teen angst so well, um, but is, isn't limited to that. And like you said, isn't, isn't, uh, typecast until he is, yeah. um, cause he's able to like, when you write something like vacation, he's got to write the stereotypical dad, the stereotypical teen son, daughter, mm-hmm. stereotypical mom. Um, so he, um, I think he just understands his character so well uh, that when he dives into the teenage psyche, he's, he gets it. Yeah. Um, well, but it's not I, limited I, to I, that. I would th- I would think that like once you know your character so well, and this kind of goes to the Coens a little bit true too, yeah. is like once you know your character so well, like the story kind of writes itself, and you just got to throw some things in mm-hmm. to you know to uh, you know make them react. Yeah. You know, uh, you know. Well, what if we did this to him? Okay. Well, then this, this, and this, and this is going to happen. That's going to take another you know another thirty minutes or you know forty five minutes. Yeah. Of a script. Yeah. Another. Um a great problem to have is having to write for John Candy. That helps yeah. too. <laughs> um, 
Um, but like a movie like Uncle Buck is just um, when people talk about uh, John Hughes, obviously they really focus on the teen aspect and there's mm-hmm. a fantastic, um, uh, fantastic aspect there in uncle buck, but they also really fully flesh out and fully explore uncle buck, John Candy's character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's not just about, uh, Tia, um, which right. the oldest niece, um, it's Which really about you, him like, too and his role in the family and you know he loves his his nieces and nephew and and his uh brother and sister-in-law um but what do you do when you're like how do you feel when you find out that you are you have so much love for these people and you are the last person they call you're the one folded out of the um wedding album and uh like he, he he wasn't just good at writing teens. He was good at writing characters across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't really planning on talking about that one. But that just kind of stood. Well, out no, to it, me when I, I was mean, going through. And you, I mean, now the thing about it is he he's good at writing family dynamic. Whether mm-hmm. it's you know, I mean, every family is kind of dysfunctional. You know, no no family is what it seems on the right. outside. You know, and uh, it you know whether it's you know, Uncle Buck or, you know, Planes, Trains or uh, The Great Outdoors, which, you know, is kind of more slapsticky, but there is a little bit of pathos towards the end of that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that whole family dynamic type thing. Uh, we, I mean, we were also robbed of John Candy at an yeah. age. I wonder what he'd be doing right now. Would he be doing stuff like John Goodman's doing? You know, I know they're two fat white guys, but, <laughs> you know, would it, would he be doing some, you know, some serious like character acting stuff? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Just that, that evolution. Yeah. That seems to come with longevity of if you're going to stay in the business or not. Um, which I specifically mentioned since one of the movies that I really wanted to talk about was home alone. Um, mm. and, uh, one of the stars, Joe Pesci decided he was not interested in, uh, yeah. having a long career, a long, illustrious career that he, I don't know, maybe could have. I mean, he had a good run. What, what was it? Raging Bull to what? I mean, his lot, what, I mean, what is it? Eight heads in a duffel bag was, um, gone fishing. He did with what, with, uh, <laughs> Yeah. With, oh yeah, uh, Gone Fishing. When was that? That was, was uh, ninety two thousands. Ninety seven with Danny Glover. Okay, so he and had they a linked up again year... for Lethal right. Weapon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Leo Gatz and Lethal Weapon series. But think about that. Oh I mean, yeah. Joe Pesci is a like like when you say Joe Pesci, everyone knows who you're talking about. Absolutely. Right? But he hasn't been in a movie since then, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's got two, he's, well, post-production, okay. Yeah, he's got a 2019 credit. Um, oh, and a Scorsese movie. There you go. Yeah. All right. I can get behind that. Uh, but yeah, he, um, 
Award-winning actor. But, okay, I'm looking through his filmography, right? Mm -hmm. Actor. 2015, 2010, 2006, 1998. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's pretty much, like, he had an 18-year run. Mm -hmm. When was... uh, Raging Bull was in 1980. Mm -hmm. And... The Death Collector? I don't know about hmm. that. I don't know. But pretty much, yeah, pretty much 1980 to 2000, or 1997. Yeah. And in, 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 in there, we had a nice little run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Joe Pesci, fantastic. Um, one, of, one of his movies, though. Uh, the, That's uh, what I'm talking about. Nice little run of Home Alone. Yeah. The John Hughes, uh, written, not directed, um, but uh, just this incredibly strong script of, um, again, the family dynamic. And you, you only get to see it in, like, really two scenes um, where, where the actual family is together and interacting with each other. <laughs> um, the first one is just... Yeah, I'm I'm sure you can I feel like this could potentially be an everyday thing for you with like the whole extended family like living on the compound, just the whole yeah. extended family eating pizza and spilling yeah. milk and <laughs> fighting. Trust uh, me. We yeah, yeah, we had pizza for Liam's birthday last night. Mm-hmm. And we had maybe a little argument between myself and Ryan's wife. Really? So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> well, so it was her fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. Know. Oh, okay. I'll get into it. All right. <laughs> so there's this lady who walks a dog down like this one side road, which no one drives on really. But my sister-in-law's dog, Ryan's dog, went out and supposedly like bit this dog. Mm-hmm. So she reported to the, or she called. I don't know. She called, she must have either called the police or the. We, yeah, we have some rambunctious dogs in the compound here. Yeah, and um, and and <laughs> she was as she a good was compound the, should. <laughs> she was making the argument. You know, if if you get scared of the dogs that are here, um. You should just walk a different way. You know, just walk a different way. You don't have to walk this way. I'm like, this isn't. Uh, I don't uh, even. Aerosmith and Run DMC would disagree. That's right. Walk this way. That's right. Did you listen to that uh, podcast? Which one? Rick Rubin. Uh, uh, I I sent to you. It was uh, something uh, with. Um, damn it. Oh, um, you sent it to me like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I haven't listened to it yet. I have downloaded okay. it. Yeah, I, broken record. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, it's in the queue. I've got all these damn span the void episodes to get through. I know you don't have to. Listen. They're all the same. Yeah, it's like maps. They're all great. Yeah. <laughs> they all. Anyways. Make, they all make me laugh. Um. Then yes. Anyways, um, so yeah, I, I mean that is that that rings true, and then the, uh, <laughs> um, 
Catherine, o, uh, Catherine O'Hara's character, uh, the mom, the matriarch of the a uh, McAllister family, uh, desperately trying to get back to her son. Obviously, all the all of Kevin's hijinks, mm-hmm. much much fun. Um, but really, where, she, where John Hughes shines is is more so than the hijinks. The actual um, mother trying desperately to get back to her son, and uh, just kind of the the you know Kevin thinks no one cares about him and he's happy he made his family disappear and mm-hmm. meanwhile there's this juxtaposition of his mother is absolutely sick over being away from him and uh as as good as like Macaulay Culkin was was a revelation and Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern were mm-hmm. as you know the web bandits and stuff what really makes this movie uh what it's 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 not the main thing, but what what wraps the whole thing up is Catherine Harrow's character yeah. and her like love of like her her um just how flustered she is with her son. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, she loves him. Yeah, it's a, you know it, it's unconditional love of a mother. Yeah, yeah, and that's what gets you. Kevin doesn't know that. But as the viewer, like that's what gets hammered home, mm. um, and he comes to realize that that's what he wants. He wants his family around. Um, but that that um, final scene when um, she's just happy to get home, even if it means uh, hitching a ride with John Candy and his polka bums. Yeah. <laughs> which is great yeah and, and, and the weird thing is like she gets home like five minutes before exactly the rest of the family does but like it it just it feels like that five minutes means everything to her yeah yeah um kind of like uh you know the barclay marathons it's like it, the the fact that you you'll go to these lengths to do this is yeah. what matters more than yep. more than the outcome um and uh then you get the family together and it's just this very sweet moment. And the, uh, what is it? The, the South Bend shovel slayer re re, uh, mm-hmm. reconnects with his, um, estranged family. And it's really sweet. Uh, and then you have Kevin gets left alone again. And it, yeah. it's just, just such a good, there's such a good wrap up, just such clever writing because mm-hmm. you know, that, that is how it happens is everyone comes home and they're, super hyped up and you know they're they're glad kevin didn't burn the place down Hmm. and then they kind of move on (laughs) yeah it's just how it goes in a big family yep so yeah i think that he just more than just understanding teenagers he wrote from a place of understanding all of his characters he understood his subject matter um and obviously you know he's a screenwriter he understands storytelling um but the thing that that makes him stand out is that he always knew the stakes for the characters, even if ditching high school one day in the grand scheme of things is not a big deal hmm. in that day. That's a monumental thing. And you're yep. on top of the world when you're doing that or yep. you have Saturday detention. Big fucking deal. Like, you know, you're, you, you set up a random thing, but explore the characters. Yes. Yeah. And find out and find and, and explore those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, so a couple things that I've found interesting about him um, were uh, one of the reasons he liked to film in Chicago was because he did not have a uh, strong fondness for Hollywood and he wanted to get people out of that uh, Los Angeles environment. Okay. So that they could focus on the work. Um, a Another thing um, was that people were, I think this started to come out shortly after his death. Um, he had kind of an unorthodox way of interviewing people um, mm -hmm. for building his team as far as um, on the production side of things. Uh, he would often ask questions like, who's your favorite guitarist? Okay. Uh, well, I know he was a, like a big music fan. Yes, yeah. And and that would um, influence his decisions pretty heavily, according to people close to him. Mm. Um, because I would imagine if you're, if you're showing up like uh, to interview for him, you probably have the credentials. Uh, so it's an interesting way of kind of kind seeing of sifting like the through art, your artistic style. Maybe. Yeah, like who am I going to mesh with? Like this yeah. guy who likes A or mm -hmm. or or B. Yeah. Um, so yeah, are you a Billy Joel guy or Elton John? Yeah, yeah, are you Billy Joel or Elton John? I will show you the door if <laughs> you mention Uptown Girl. <laughs> but if you if you say Crocodile Rock. I'm yeah. right there with you. Oh, oh hell yeah. Levon? Get oh, in here. Levon's Get great. in here. You're Tiny hired. Dancer? I I do love Who's the Boss. That's <laughs> <laughs> such terrible. <laughs> uh, hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> uh I've uh, there was a really funny like Dave Grohl did a performance of uh, Tiny Dancer once and he was like I would like to um, this beautiful song that was introduced to me by Cameron Crowe or something like that <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just totally kinda, bypassed Elton John yeah it's such a good song it is it's a great song Madman Across the Water phenomenal album start to finish. Uh, yeah, so I, I, John Hughes, definitely one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, he has a short directorial list, um, especially for how monumental his reputation was. Yeah. Um, I mean, he pretty much, he was like, he went hard and heavy, like from mm -hmm. 1980, 80, well, 82, 83 to like, to like 93, 94, and then after that, like he, like it kind of got into the, you know, the Beethovens and the, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it got a little, um, little diluted after that. And, and that's a shame. And I, I don't know, I hope that that didn't like a, like lead to anything like any, you know, depression or like stuff that maybe, uh, you know, he died at, uh, 59. Yeah. Pretty young. And which is, you know, I mean, he'd be, yeah, he'd be 68 right now and he should be making movies right now, which is, a, it's a shame. Um, but yeah, like after, um, pretty much after Home Alone, then just kind of 
spiraled out. Yeah, and I mean, it's, um, I mean, he did pretty big stuff, right? like Miracle oh, on Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think highly of it, but uh, it's like the what was the, I think Baby's Day Out. Yeah. The like '94 movie was like, like the most successful screenplay he's written or something crazy yeah. like that, which is ridiculous. But like, you know, he was still making, um, by Hollywood standards, he was still uh, a bankable, um, person. A bankable just, commodity. Uh, yeah. is what I'm looking for. Uh, but you know, he got into that, he was in that, um, you know, that, uh, uh, lampoon, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, the Harvard uh, lampoon and yeah. And that's, you know, you got, they got, he got into that and helped out with a little bit of that. And then, you know, started, you know, his, one of my favorite movies, National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. And as a screenplay based on, uh, his, what he wrote pretty much is like, a. I th- what what I've read is like pretty much his. Um, oh, it's called uh, based on his short story "Vacation '58," mm-hmm. which is uh, pretty much the story of him, like them going cross country in the sedan. <laughs> you know, nice. Um, and then another, he wrote uh, "Mr. Mom," which a movie that is just so underrated. It's oh, absolutely! Just so goddamn good. Like it, that should be that should come up all the time, but it never does. I mean, Michael Keaton is great in it. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, then he starts to get into the directing with, you know, uh, yeah, um, he does some great stuff. It's, uh, it, it was a short, hot run. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, like, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if maybe the, like, you know, once you, like, maybe you don't adapt, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. After certain, as far as the writing goes, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, but he had a good, good run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Any, uh, any final thoughts? Wrap this baby uh, up. No, um, I guess. I we found out that uh, Joe Pesci and John Hughes's runs were pretty much the same, same length. Yeah pretty awesome dudes as well yeah. uh yeah man it felt felt good to be back felt good to uh, have a beer yes it's been a while and since i sat and uh got to talk movies with you so thank you for sure and also uh and i know she doesn't listen to this podcast but mm-hmm. if she still does congratulations lads mm-hmm. on a baby coming yeah andy jr <laughs> I'm pretty he, sure it's going to be called Brad. He doesn't have to know. <laughs> <laughs> Named after your husband? Sure. <laughs> um. Uh, oh, we did talk about... Did we talk about... No, I don't think we did. Um, uh, Fredo saw a couple of movies. He wanted mm-hmm. to check in. Uh, Venom and Boy Raced. Both okay. So, yeah. Other than that, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we're good. Um, uh, hopefully see you guys next week. If if not, uh, just know life gets in the way. Yes. Yeah, life uh, finds a way. That's right. 
but we will be back. And until then, are those two pillows? Those aren't two pillows. <laughs>
we do have some recommendations for you. Uh, Cape Fear. Oh, speaking of course, Scorsese, uh, 1991. Uh, his remake is streaming on Netflix right now, as well as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, from 1975. That one's streaming on Amazon Prime. So next week, we're going to be talking The Ballad of Buster Scruggs from this year, uh, streaming on Netflix, as well as Mean Streets from 1973 over on Amazon Prime. And our streaming recommendations are Cape Fear from 1991 on Netflix and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest from 1975 on Amazon Prime. Okay, bye.